All right, good afternoon, y'all. Uh, today, I get to talk to a friend of mine from the gym, another person from the gym. Um, he is a longtime member, and he has lived, as far as I know, an interesting life. He was born in, where was that, Canada? No, I was actually born in the States, Okay, <clears throat> but I grew up in Canada. So he grew up in Canada, so we're going to be talking about that, just talking about what he's learned um, from like the different places he's lived, the different jobs he's had. Um, so please welcome my friend Marcus Wenner. Wenner, right? Welcome, Wenner. Wenner. How do you how do you say last everybody name? Everybody always messes up the last name. It's just Wenner. Wenner. Just, yeah, yeah. Right on. But everybody looks at it and they, and it's like one of those names where they look at and they it's so easy to say. They feel and like it should they, be. Yeah, and then usually it gets messed up. So. Yeah. Where where did that originate from? Your last name? Do you know? It's German. <clears throat> it's a German. Uh, I, did, I did the ancestry thing a few years ago, oh, you where, did? I, where I went deep, 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 deep into it, and it's like uh, both. We figured out both sides of my family came from uh, what's called like the Alsace-Lorraine region. Okay, so it's right where France, Germany, and Switzerland meet. There's like a little corner right there where they all touch, uh -huh. and that's that kind of region. So even like my mom's side of the family. And my dad's side of the family both traced kind of back to that region or whatever. So kind of like French, German, Swiss people. You know? Do you know who in your family was from that area? Like were your grandparents <clears throat> or were No, no. So were my, my family, or... yeah. So my family was like deep, 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 like 12 generations ago or whatever. Mm. Like, like it was way back. <clears throat> I can't remember how many years, but it was, you know, it was 16 you know, sixteen, seventeen hundreds when the when they came over. You so know? you might have had so, family homies yeah. with Columbus then. Yeah, huh? like I don't, <clears throat> I'm not sure. I, 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 I'm I'm saying those dates now, and now I'm second guessing myself. But it was very early. Yeah. In that, like it was like when the Pennsylvania Dutch, like Pennsylvania Quakers, uh -huh. like when they Pennsylvania or uh, the German people came over and settled in like western pennsylvania that was where like all my family's from right oh, so interesting <clears throat> and that was that was pretty like close to revolutionary times i think yeah like, yeah like so yeah that's actually an interesting point because it's a well as you said like grew up in canada so i was born i was born in pennsylvania okay my family's both sides of my family were are from pennsylvania um <clears throat> my mom and dad kind of moved around a lot we always like we had said we had some kind of gypsy blood in us because we were always moving uh, my mom and dad were just I'm an only child so we just my dad was like we're gonna go where opportunity is and that's kind of you know that's kind of how I've I've always kind of lived my life is I'm just go where where opportunity takes you right yeah, as opposed yeah. to sticking around one place all the time and expecting it to just sort of fall in your lap right um, so in the course of I think before I was in the second grade <clears throat> we lived in Pennsylvania South Carolina Montana back to Pennsylvania um, and then just kind of out of the blue my dad my dad is a music teacher he's a retired music teacher and uh, he got this resume <clears throat> or he got this as uh, this phone call from Canada some from Saskatchewan right uh -huh. uh, middle of Canada right above North Dakota and uh, they're like yeah we found your resume in like a desk drawer like you know when he got out of college he gave his resume to a, to a service and they sent it all everywhere right and uh, they just happened to have this resume sitting in a desk drawer up in this school in like rural Canada. And uh, they were just how happened to be looking for a band director. Uh -huh. And uh, this was 1981, you know, and he was like, well, you know, he, was, he had to like pull out an atlas and see where it was, you know, like, where the hell is this place? And 
well, you know, if you like to hunt and fish, it's like some of the best hunting and fishing in Canada, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and he's like, well, I mean, I got, a, I got a kid, you know, like, what's, what's the town like? You know, like, we'd have to come and visit it. And he goes, like, what's, like is it even worth uh, thinking about? Like, what's the pay? You know, so this is 1981. My dad's teaching in schools. He's making $11,000 a year, Whoa. right, in 1981. And the guy was like, well, you know, your resume here is just out of college. You don't have any experience. He said, but, you know, we're, we're prepared to offer you 30, like, on the spot, mm-hmm. which at that time, you know. Tri- almost the, triple. <clears throat> yeah, at that time, the dollar, the U.S. dollar and the Canadian dollar were about the same. And, uh, you know, that was the first time my mom and dad always say, that, like, the first paycheck they got in Canada was the first time they actually paid bills and had money left over. You know what Whoa. I mean? Like, like, we were struggling pretty bad back then, you know, so... So we moved, you know, he just, they drove up, they saw the town, they drove back, we packed up all our shit and we moved to Canada. So oh, how old were you in that? So second grade. So I went into okay, the second so grade second in Canada. So Do you I, remember? Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. remember it pretty clearly? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know. How, how'd you like that? Like, how, how was that transition for you? It was, it was good. It was, it was different. You know, yeah. a lot of people look at Canada as the same place as the, as the U.S. They pretty don't close. think it's very, very different, but, but I mean, we moved there. So we were definitely... You know, I was the American kid, you know, and and there was a lot of, you know, in that town, like when you get into the rural towns in Canada, there's, there's, there's a lot of animosity towards Americans Mm. in general. Like they don't, they don't like to be equated with Americans. They don't like to be told that they're just like Americans because they're, they're very, very like proud and independent country because they're their own country. So, you know, they, they get lumped in because they're in North America, right? Yeah. And America is the big, bad, you know, superpower. And, and Canada kind of gets like, okay, yeah, you're just like that, that little place mm. north of there. So they have a very, very proud thing going on as far as that goes. And, and uh, you know, it was tough. It was tough transition, I think. You know, I mean, I'll say tough, but it wasn't like I got beat up or bullied because I was yeah, American. Yeah. But, but there's still, I mean... <clears throat> I lived there for 18 years and there were still people that that would throw that at you every once in a while that you know I wasn't Canadian or I wasn't this that or the other you know what I mean so. yeah interesting because I've been to Canada I went maybe like three or four summers ago yeah with some friends we went up um, we basically road tripped from Southern California up to Whistler mm-hmm. which is above <clears throat> um, Vancouver yeah you're familiar with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know, that's basically like the... So we traveled the whole west coast of the U.S. Oh, yeah. And then up the west side of uh, Whistler. I mean, up the west side of Canada. Yeah. My guess from the border of Canada to Whistler was like, what, maybe three hours? Yeah, it's not very far. Um, yeah, so we went up there. <clears throat> and my interactions with Canadians was super pleasant. Oh, yeah. Everybody seems super nice. Yeah. Maybe it's because we're just visiting, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean... It, you go into like Whistler's Whistler's like touristy, touristy. you know yeah. what I mean mm-hmm. so we like we live there so it's like day day in day out yeah, yeah you know what I mean so I mean a couple couple things my mom worked at the bank in town right she was just like a teller at the bank mm-hmm. and there were people that would line up <clears throat> and not go to her window because she was because they didn't because she was American yeah they're like oh we don't trust her we don't we don't like her or whatever we're gonna wait for another teller 
to, to not go to my mom's thing or whatever. How could just, they tell? Just by the dialect? Because they knew, no, just, they, like it was a very small town. So they, uh, they knew where we were from. Yeah, gotcha. it, wasn't, it wasn't like we blended in. Like we were, we were the brand new people in town. Like my dad was the band director. Uh-huh. The town was actually well known for its, band, for its high school uh-huh. band. We traveled all over, competed, you know, like it was, it, like my dad's very competitive. So, so when he moved to that town, he, like that was pretty much, you know, everybody has sort of like the, the apex of their career you know where they do the most in their job yeah. or whatever and that was where he did that uh, we we uh we competed you know nationally we competed in the states as far as like concert band goes uh-huh. um we played at like expo 86 like the world expo or whatever we were like one of four bands in saskatchewan invited to come out and play in the saskatchewan pavilion or whatever so we were we were like we didn't have a football team or a sports like at our high school it was the band like you went you were in the band if you were cool if you were in the band right so where was where is saskatchewan in relation to so saskatchewan is straight north of north dakota so it's actually about straight north of here right so if you go straight north from here central u.s straight north central yeah so it spans like north dakota and montana Uh uh-huh and it's just literally it's like a rectangle shaped province like it's just it's the one everybody forgets it's even there because it's mostly farmland mostly rural you know um there's probably like a million people in the whole province, you know, okay. like it's very, very low population. Um, so it's just, it's one of those, they call it the gap in Canada because everybody knows the West Coast. Like the drive-through right? state. <clears throat> yeah, they, they know British Columbia and Alberta, right? Yeah. And then they know Toronto and Quebec, or Ontario and Quebec and all that. And, and then Manitoba is right there beside Ontario. And Manitoba and Saskatchewan are like those two middle ones, right? Gotcha. Manitoba, uh, borders some of the Great Lakes, so some people know about Manitoba, but okay. Saskatchewan always gets gets mm. forgotten, right? So It was interesting. Earlier you were mentioning how Canada is like, um, people see Canada as like the same as the U.S., mm-hmm. which is Canada's the north border, but then you have the south border, yeah. Mexico, yeah. and people see that as like... Completely different. Complete, yeah. like, like they see it as like a third world country. <clears throat> oh, they yeah. just see it as like yeah. super terrible. And I think a lot of that stems from like media coverage and just the idea that is passed around. Because my dad travels to Mexico for work. He travels to Canada, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there are a lot of good people in Mexico, right? Oh, yeah. But, but yeah. all we hear about is the bad. Yeah. Whereas, like, in Canada, you don't really hear much about the bad. Yeah. Canada is more of, like, at least in my eyes, but <clears throat> that is because I'm ignorant to what's really going on. Yeah. But, like, Canada, to me, is just, like, like you said, another America, right? But just Canadians. Yeah. Whereas well, Mexico, I, I even have that bias where I'm like, oh, is Mexico yeah, safe? I had that bias coming down here when, when I went to college in the States. I uh-huh. went to college in North Dakota, right? So because it was close, you know, I was like four hours away from the college I went to. So I would drive across the border to go to college Whoa, and then drive home across yeah. the border, right? There were tons of Canadian students that came down to the States to go to that college because it was a big uh, speech path college. I didn't uh-huh. do speech path, but, but other people did. That was like what drew a lot of Canadians there. And uh, <clears throat> you you don't see that border as such a big deal, although I see crossing the Mexican border as a huge deal, yeah. right? Like I like I yeah. think of that as that's some serious shit, right? Yeah. But but crossing the Canadian border was like no big deal, you know. But but it, it still is a big deal, you know. But it's the connotation of it is not, you know, yes. because you're not, uh, you know, it's just it just doesn't seem like it's a different country, but and it absolutely is. You know, there's differences, you know, for sure. Lots of differences. So. What's crazy is it's literally like North America is a plot of land, mm. and we drew a line, <laughs> yeah, and we mm. say like th- across this line is where the good people are, yeah. At least how Americans feel, right? Across this line, yeah. the north of, of the Mexican-U.S. border, 
U.S. Here's where the good people are. Yeah. South. Here's where the bad people are. Yeah. But that's so not true, right? Yeah. Like, no. It's I, a, but it's the connotation. It's for it's, sure. It's kind of how how you grow up. Yeah. Thinking yeah. in those terms, you know. Have you seen the border of Canada and the United States? How it's just like they literally cut. I've seen this on. Oh yeah, like clear cut. Clear just, cut trees, yeah. and it's literally just a line, and you can look yeah. on the satellite. Yeah. And just see trees gone, and yeah. it's just a big line. Just of, a line. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of border stations in North Dakota. <clears throat> that are not open 24 hours, right? Um, there's a couple that are, I mean, they have to have some that are open 24 hours, right? And there's people there all the time. And those are bigger border stations where if we would go back and forth, if you missed like the nine o'clock curfew on the one, you had to drive about an hour this way to get to the 24 hour mm. one. Um, <clears throat> but all they did on those ones, on the, the ones that close at 9 p.m., is they just put cones across the, the road. Right, uh-huh. and there's a sign that says, you know, like it's being watched. I mean, there's electric uh-huh. eye, and if somebody crosses that line, you know, people are going to get you on the yeah. other side. Like, like be be warned, you know. Uh, but I had friends of mine that back in college, because this was back in the '90s, you know, and they were like, they would go up to because North Dakota drinking age 21, right? Saskatchewan and Manitoba it was 18 and 19, right? So they would drive up into Canada to go to the bars, right, <clears throat> and come home. Of course, they're coming home like late at night. Trying to get back to college, or whatever, missed the missed the curfew on the border, uh-huh. and I had a couple of people that literally like, oh yeah, we just moved the cones and went across, <laughs> and they got picked up within like fifteen minutes. Because usually there's oh, about really? usually there's at least a fifteen to twenty minute drive from the border to the first highway, yeah. where it's just one road, right? And there's cops that live, you know, the people that patrol that live right in that area, so they get the you know whatever the alarm yeah. goes off and they get the call and they just haul out, get in their car and pick you up on the road basically Whoa. saying what the fuck you know you weren't supposed to do that <laughs> and, that's crazy uh, so I've, I've heard stories about people doing that you know you where they're just like that. no I never did and I, by the time I got like we had plenty of parties to go to in town I never felt like the need to go to Canada to go to the bars like most of the people yeah. I mean the people that grew up in the states you know they never had that experience you know I was People in my high school were going to the bars their senior year because they were eighteen. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, so it wasn't as it wasn't as huge of a deal. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, there's still lots of drinking problems in both on both sides. But I feel like lower lower drinking ages in general help to transition people into it better. When you got to yes. wait, when you got to wait to twenty one, people go nutso, yeah. or they do it in an illegal manner, right? Like at bush parties or, you know, they go to a house party and if somebody brings in a bunch of alcohol and they go crazy at the house party, as opposed to just being able to go to the bar and have some drinks and learn how to manage themselves, yeah. you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that's a, that's a big difference too. It's all, it's like, it's, my university was drinking age was 18, right? Whoa, that's crazy. So which, which caused a lot of problems for me generally, but, yeah, yeah. but you know, if you, if you managed it well then you learned how to be a grown-up and go to the bar and have a few drinks and go home and, and, handle, yourself, yeah, and yeah. handle yourself. Except, you know, as opposed to waiting until you're 21, like, oh my God, I can't wait. And Big then, celebration. Then you go and you go ballistic, get, yeah, yeah, when you hit 21. So, so okay, so. so growing up in Canada, like, you grew up basically, you transit, when did you move <clears throat> back to the U.S.? How old were you? No, it was college age. So I... So 22, I, maybe? Yeah, so I, I went there in the second grade went through pretty much, I mean, all your growing up years, yeah. you know, formative years were in Canada. So that was, I went elementary school, middle school, high school, went to my first year of college in Canada. Um, <clears throat> in 96, so I graduated in 92. I went to one year university in 
Canada and then failed out. And then I went to uh, university in the States, in uh -huh. North Dakota. So my mom and dad still lived in Canada at the time, right? So I would still go back home to, to that town. Uh, but it was just me and my mom and my dad yeah. in that town. So in 96, they actually, you know, like a lot of places in the States and around, they they cut the arts in the school that I grew up in, right, to make room for more technology or whatever it was. But they cut the band program, basically, the funding to the band program. So my dad's job was no longer there. Mm. So he, you know, and they kind of, you know, this was one reason we never, we never, did a dual citizenship or anything like that. My mom and dad, since they traveled around so much when I was young, didn't know if this was going to be a two-year deal or a five-year deal or whatever. It ended up being a 20-year deal, right, living in Canada. So uh, at that point, they were like, well, I guess we'll just move back to the States. So my dad, my dad still wasn't retired then, so he moved to Amarillo. This was right when Heather and I got married. It was right around 96, 97. So, uh, you know, Heather and I kind of finished up in Minot, got married in 97, and then we moved to Texas. Gotcha. So I was in college, right? And so I wasn't really, I mean, I wasn't even, at that point, I wasn't even going home for the summers because yeah. I was already, you know, I was like 22, 21, 22. When you go home, like when you have a small town like that, if you go home every summer, the jobs just get more sparse, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I might as well just get a job at college and mm -hmm. stay here. And Heather and I were living together. And, you know, so we're just. Did you meet Heather in college? Yeah. Where was she from initially? So she's from right around where we went to college. So in that, North Dakota. In North Dakota. North that Dakota. little town in North Dakota, Minot. <clears throat> and her little town is just outside of Minot, like 10 minutes outside Minot. It's called okay. Galax. So, so she played college volleyball at that university. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I came down there for my second year of college. Yeah. And that was that her question. first year of college because gotcha. she graduated in 93. So, so we kind of, you know. Throughout the first probably two years I was there, we knew each other, saw each other, you know, met, whatever, <clears throat> kind of hung in the same circles. The whole college was maybe 2,500 people. I mean, it probably wasn't even as big as Smithson Valley High School, you know, mm -hmm. so Real so cool. you knew a lot of people, especially if you attended a bunch of parties and house parties yeah. and stuff, you started to see same people here and there, and so that's kind of how we met. How was your um, view growing up in Canada, like how was your view of the u.s when you heard about like you were saying the view mm. of the u.s to canadians is different and yeah. they see them as like like canadians are better or whatever yeah how does how that view so that was that? it was it was different because when i was there <clears throat> you know i was proud to be an american right i yes. still am you know like not just when i was there but but growing up there and like i said before like we kept our u.s citizenship right so in 81, when we moved there, you couldn't be dual, right? There was no option. The U.S. The US side would say, you're either a U.S. citizen or you denounce the U.S. citizenship and you take the, the other country, right? Mm -hmm. Canada would have said, yeah, you can be dual. We, we recognize dual, but the U.S. wouldn't, right? So because my mom and dad didn't know how long we were going to be up there, we're like, oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it. You know, yeah. like, we'll keep the U.S. citizenship. Because U.S. passport, right? I got my citizenship. I can always go back to the States, right? Um, in hindsight, I wish we would have taken the option of dual at some point just mm -hmm. to have the options, like knowing how the world is now. Yeah. Um, but we kept it, right? Okay. Um, so being, you know, as a kid, having that little bit of being different than everybody else was... And, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be an American citizen. You know, yeah. I, I think that's something to be proud of, right? There's lots of things to be proud of to be an American citizen. It's, and I think it's, you know, not so much 
a reflection of the country in general, but are just a reflection of of you. Uh-huh. You know, if you're an American citizen, you sort of have these values and yeah. and personality traits in you. You yeah. know, because we all came from this group of you know like rebellious people that that came over here rebellious and, and made, yeah made made our made our way. Anyways, so I held. I definitely pushed back a lot on you know whenever there was a. U.S. versus Canada kind of thing. I wore shirts in school that had American flags on it all the time. You know, I wasn't like a rah rah. You know, like I didn't get crazy about it, yeah. but I was always like, you know, I'm I, I'm not Canadian. You know, yeah, I was uh-huh. I didn't I didn't shy away from saying it. You know, um, there was a couple instances that was it was funny uh, that I remember. <clears throat> do you remember? You might be young for this, but do you remember when uh, Ben Johnson won the gold in? 100 meter dash no nope. so i don't even remember which olympics this was but ben johnson was from canada okay whatever fastest you know this was like the usain bolt yeah, of the time. the time fastest dude won the gold medal at the olympics very soon after they found out he was using performance enhancing drugs right mm-hmm. had his gold medal stripped and carl lewis got the gold medal right? he was from carl lewis was from the states okay. so carl lewis got second ben johnson from canada got first so uh, when they found out he was using steroids, they pulled his gold medal, right, and uh, gave, the, gave it to the American, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the next day in school, I remember, so we're, I was at school, and the English teacher, uh, we were sitting in English, and, I mean, everybody was, like, like somber because of this event, right? They yeah. just couldn't believe that their guy had used drugs oh. and blah, 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 blah. And the English teacher had the he even had the lights dimmed in the English class, uh-huh. right? And he, and we all sat there and we were going to write an essay about how it made us feel, you know, as <laughs> as as a, as a Canadian, yeah, that this happened, right? And I remember like everybody's essays were all about like oh so disappointed, blah blah blah. And I wrote this essay about how that guy fucking deserved it. Uh-huh. And like I mean, my whole sheet paper was filled up with like. You guys are idiots. Like, I mean, I like I pushed it. Like, I, I definitely like poked. You know, yeah. especially when there was when there was a U.S. versus Canada kind of thing. I kind of I kind of dug it in a little bit. You know, and, and and you know it was well deserved in some respects. But that was that was interesting. You know, you were your school's um, public enemy number one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they all they all knew. And even even to the day, like when I went to college, I had friends like lifelong friends that I had since I went to that town, right. And they would say stuff about like Americans and filthy Americans, and now oh, you're just a dirty whatever. And they'd be like, "But not you. I mean, you grew up here. Yeah, yeah. You're different. You know what I mean? Like you're and uh-huh. and then even when I went to college, you know, because people knew that I that I ran with the Canadian kids. You know, I ran. I had a lot of friends from Canada, and were in college in the states. <clears throat> and I was always hanging around with my Canadian friends, obviously. Um, most of them had no idea that I was even born in the States. Mm. I mean, I grew up there, so I, I acted like them. I talked like them, you know, so it's... And again, we say, like, acted like them. It wasn't like we were completely, you know, way different from the North yeah. Dakota kids, mm-hmm. but there was a difference, you know I mean? Like, there's just in the way you grew up and the way, you know, you were taught or whatever. I, I value the fact that I got to grow up in another country. Absolutely. I mean, I like, 100%. It's, 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 it gives you a whole different perspective. And... You know, you wouldn't have that perspective if you just grew up in a different country. Like, like if you brought my Canadian friend here, he would have a 100% Canadian perspective on things, right? Yep. He would never take into account the other side of it, right? So I think the fact that I was an American growing up in Canada, you know, I held on to that 
whatever pride that I had of being an American, but I also, I mean, I appreciate growing up where I grew up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of good stuff about growing up in Canada, you know, and even just the place I grew up in, just uh-huh. being out in the in the sticks. It was way out in the boonies, you know, like we didn't have a whole lot of civilization around and just just having, the, but, but being able to say, well, yeah, and now like living in this place, right? Seeing the difference of how I grew up versus how my kids are growing up or whatever, you know, you, you, you value the differences, yeah. you know, and just and being exposed to the differences. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not exposed to any differences your whole life, yep. you have no idea. Yep. Like, and there's no adversity whatsoever, yep. you know, so. I think that's super important you bringing that up because I feel like um, before I moved here to Texas, mm-hmm. I was very ignorant on like what was out there. Yeah. And I have friends, after moving here, I have friends who are saying like, who say things, it's not that big of a deal because yeah. it's, it's, a lot of times it's jokingly, but they'll say things yeah. like, oh, you live around a bunch of, you know, Texas country hicks. Oh, oh yeah. Um, you know, Trump lovers, this and yeah. that. And like I have met some of them here, like yeah. some Trump lovers, but but a lot of things, uh, I'm not, not <clears throat> to get political, but a yeah. lot of times it's like we have these ideas of people in certain areas, but once you get to know them, oh, yeah. the ideas completely change. They dissolve, yeah. right? Because yeah. all we hear, like, People have these like ideas of like I'm from California, I'm going to defend California. Yeah. I'm from Texas, I'm going to defend Texas. Yeah. Um, I'm from this place, I'm going to have these political views. So mm-hmm. like for example, I have uh, a good friend of mine. You know, I'm friends with Jr. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jr. has been on the podcast, but he has completely different political views than I do. Oh yeah. But if I were to only know, let's say I was back in California and I heard about a guy, hey, yeah, uh, I know a guy in Texas who has completely. My ideas of him are going to be completely different, but now that I have like sat down with him, yeah. talked with him, yeah. um, you know, grown in different areas um, as far as like getting better as a person with him, yeah. I know that like just because he has these one set of views yeah. based off of where he was raised doesn't mean he's this particular person. Yeah. yeah. And like you were saying, like <clears throat> being from Canada and your Canadian friends saying like, oh, you're American, but you, you're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all it takes, I think, is just to like. Get to know people. Like, yeah. Because We're just more, connecting. Yeah, just, just connecting. More because, times than not, yeah. you're going to have more in common than you have differences. Oh, yeah. I think that's what we need to focus on as people, right? Finding well, out. yeah. And I, and I think the, the biggest thing with that is that you can get, <clears throat> you can get stuck being fearful of mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. right? And the more people you hang out with that are exactly the same as you all the time, the more fearful you become of the other outsiders, right? Outsiders, quote unquote, right? Yeah, outsiders. yeah. Because, and that's and that's where a lot of people, you know, again, not to be like like whatever, like regional or whatever, like you say, Californians and Texas yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's a ton of. I'm sure there's a million Californians that would be like, oh my god, I would never be friends with a Texan, or I'd never be this, that, and the other. But but once you if you if you were put into a situation where you met them you and you got to know them as a person mm-hmm. you would ha- you would have that experience of absorbing a little bit of their personality mm-hmm. and connecting with them and then and then they're not so different right yes but the longer and this is this is why i i feel like it's such a value that i lived in so many different places and did so many different jobs and things that i that i've done is that you appreciate all those things. Oh, absolutely. Right? You don't, you know, I think there's a lot of young people nowadays that <clears throat> A, don't ever want to meet anybody outside their friend circle. Yep. Right? Yep. Because their friend circle makes them feel good. Comfortable. Right? Yep. Like these people build me up, like whether they mean it or not, that, you know, like we're all the same. 
We like we look the same. We go to the same church. We go to the same blah blah blah. We do all the same stuff, um, and you know we all live at the same sort of like social caste, right? Like we're all sort of middle class, middle to upper class, maybe. We all hang like it's it's always the same, 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 same. Yep. Because it makes you feel safe, and they'll never leave that bubble, yep. right? And the minute they get confronted with somebody from outside that bubble that challenge does challenges them a little bit. They don't. They shut down. You yeah. know I mean, they're they're going to have a hard time dealing with that or get you know? defensive. Yeah, I mean that's that. I think that's that has a lot to do with with. I mean, it has a lot to do with the reason why. Still in the back of my mind, crossing that Mexican border is a huge deal. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. because you, I've always thought of Mexico. Like so, this this changed my whole perspective too. Years ago, when I went to South America, was I always thought everything south of that border was like shantytown, third world country. You know what I mean? And then SeaWorld sent me to Quito, Ecuador, and there was a mall next to my hotel, and there was a KFC, and I was like, holy shit, this is not what I thought Ecuador yeah. was going to look like, okay. right? I thought it was going to be huts and villages, and I mean, I wasn't that ignorant, but but I also did not realize their their cities were going to be the same as our cities, yep. right? Yep. There was a movie theater across from my hotel, you know, I was like, wow, this is, it just flipped my, my brain, you know what I mean? Like, I was, oh, okay, you know? Um, it's not all third world country yeah. and there are people there are whole civilizations of people that are living their lives down here you know apart oh, yeah. from the u.s apart from our little bubble inside the u.s you know it's it's not all centered around what we do and what we say and what we have you know so that you know it's like there's that mark twain quote i love the mark twain quote mark twain quote, quote uh that <clears throat> you know travel is the is the enemy to to bigotry and prejudice and mm-hmm. you know the minute you start traveling and opening up your your brain yes. to other experiences and other cultures and stuff like that you are a lot less prejudiced a lot less bigoted a lot less closed-minded mm-hmm. right because Absolutely. you have to do that you yep. know i keep telling my kids that that i don't want them to live here yeah right beside me yeah you know what i mean and and, and heather and i have this whole plan to not even live here when we're old either like we're gonna go away yeah because I feel like you have to do that to develop. You absolutely, absolutely have to do that, or else you will be, you will be trapped in mm-hmm. a circle of. Well, I can't ever leave this. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, why would I ever? I have everything I need here. Why would I ever go yep. anywhere? You exactly. Know? So, it's, and another thing, like um, people in the U.S., I feel like we have this idea, like we're considered or seen as like the superpower country, you know, yeah. um, the world police and all that. And I think there are times when people think. <clears throat> The only stuff that's going on in the world is mm. whatever's going on in the U.S. Yeah. Everybody else is, they're not doing anything, you know, they yeah. don't have... there's nothing going on. Exactly. Time, but, time has st- stood still yeah. but in, I have, in other places. Yeah. I have friends in like, you know, Australia, yeah. I have another friend in, in England, yeah. and their big cities there are just oh, like yeah. big cities here. It's, Bigger. It's not much different. Yeah. I mean, go to London. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's shit going on in London every oh, yeah. minute of every day of all the time. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's as busy... And vibrant as if, if not, you know, more than New York, right? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> and they've had different, they've had a different sort of value system since the beginning. So like, here's, here's the difference, right? Like I got, I went to New York, right? I've been to New York. Like the streets are kind of dirty, the subway filthy, right? Like everywhere I went, I, I was like, on guard a little bit I mean like I mean obviously I can take care of myself and I can walk around big cities and it's not like I was like paranoid of any kind yeah. but you get that vibe mm-hmm. right had the same vibe when I was in Rio de Janeiro right 
walking on the streets in Rio de Janeiro, I felt like all the time I was about to get mugged. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and, and it didn't like ruin my experience, but it was something that was there, mm-hmm. right? London, I walked around London for days, like in the subways. The subways were pristinely clean, right? Like, so there's, it's not like they, it's not like they're behind in, the, in technology or civilization or anything. And, and, like we like we like the the connotation in our brains makes us think that they are right yeah. they, they, like we think that like you said we think that everything that we have is is the top level yeah. um when really it's equal sometimes not even equal mm-hmm. you know what i mean and we could do better if we took some ideas from other places Absolutely. you know what i mean yep. like just just stuff like that when you travel yeah you see that kind of stuff oh, yeah. you know i went to a karate <clears throat> tournament in this little teeny tiny town in poland called wuj l-o-d-z right had to fly into warsaw take a train to wuj right l-o-d-z l-o-d-z is pronounced pronounced yeah <laughs> okay. so um <clears throat> little like manufacturing town like mm-hmm. that's all it is right but they had a train system that went like above, like a trolley system, basically. So it was like the streets and then it had a track in the middle. And it went everywhere in the whole freaking city, right? It cost like 25 cents for the ticket. And you had an hour and a half on the train to get wherever you wanted to go, right? Mm-hmm. You could change 10 or 15 times if you wanted to. You know, you just got on the trolley, boom, went there, there, to the mall, to wherever you needed to go, got back on it, back to your hotel. It was the most well-organized and good like little inner transit system I've seen in this yeah. little like BFE town in Poland, right? Mm-hmm. And and we can't have that kind of stuff in Austin, San Antonio, Dallas. You know what I mean? Like we we're we're we're, we're too stubborn and proud yes, yes. to admit that we should be better That's in like, general. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in general, we should have more things in this oh, country, absolutely. but things have been stifled by you know outside interests or whatever it oh, is. Yeah. You know whatever it is that 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 molds all that it boils down to money and fear Absolutely. and stubbornness and whatever you know it's like some like, something yeah. that that i've thought about recently too like when it comes to that right mm-hmm. is like if we see a future of humans that are living um more advanced than our current means mm-hmm. um the idea of like transportation or at least my idea is like it would be more efficient right to have um subway systems or like different trains that go from one place to another much faster that sounds like the future but a lot of people for example elon musk Mm. he's ahead of the game or he's the one who's leading the forefront yeah uh, when it comes to like subway systems he wants to build a subway from like la to san francisco la to las vegas there are so many people who are saying like that's a bad idea but if you think about the future yeah that that sounds like the smartest thing oh yeah Yeah. but it's just people are just resistant to change yeah no Um, it's yeah it's, I mean, it just goes back to, to being open to yeah. looking at what somewhere else has done and go, hey, that, that's actually a good idea, yeah. right? But in general, it's hard for our country to do that. You know I mean? so, so you worked at SeaWorld. When did you get mm-hmm. that job? Got that job in 98, 99, somewhere around there. Here so, in Texas? Yeah. yeah. What, and how long did you work there for? Six years full-time. Yeah. So can you tell me you you worked with animals basically mm-hmm. those full six years? Yep. First question for you. <laughs> I have heard mm. and seen, and I could be completely ignorant on my views on this, mm. but um, I have heard and seen a lot about 
SeaWorld being bad people, you know, mm. animals in captivity. Yeah. And the idea being that they're housing these animals to help with, you know, repopulation, healthy numbers, studying the animals. Yeah. What, what, so being someone who's worked there and doesn't work there anymore. Yeah. What truth is there to that? And is it complete ignorance? So the, the documentary that came out <clears throat> that yeah, was all yeah. about that was all about how bad SeaWorld is. What, what was it called? Blackfish. Blackfish, right? yes. Everybody's seen Blackfish, right? He, real quick, you know who Steve-O is from Jackass? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see his stunts where he like climbed on top of a billboard, climbed on top of a crane? I, I've like, seen his stunts, but I'm, I don't know. Are you just talking about something specific? Yeah, basically or? like boycott SeaWorld, oh, yeah, watch no. Blackfish. Well, here's the, here's the deal. Right. Okay. Hit it, hit there, me with it. There was a there was a documentary a while back, right around Blackfish time, that was called Mermaids. Okay. Right. And I legit believed that there were mermaids for because a little of the bit because of that documentary. <laughs> I mean, that, that documentary was pretty legit. Like, and it gave my kid, who Dalen, I can't remember how old he was. Like, it, like we watched it, and he couldn't sleep for a week because, he, like, it was like creepy. You know, yeah, like they yeah. were like these things were living in the ocean, and it was it was really creepy. Right. You can make a documentary. We can make a podcast and make people fired up and believe anything we want as long as we frame it correctly, uh-huh. right? Blackfish was framed specifically Whoa. to paint SeaWorld in a bad light, yeah. right? It was done, the people that were in Blackfish were people who had been fired from SeaWorld, right? Like had worked there for a while as trainers, right? Um, and then supposedly, you know, left for whatever reason. That the, the truth, Rick, because I know people... The, you know, the one dude who was really like the main guy in Blackfish actually worked here in San Antonio. Right? Whoa. So I know people at SeaWorld of San Antonio that worked directly with him. Okay. And everybody, every one of them was like, that dude was an asshole. He didn't want to, you know, like he was always causing trouble. He was always blah, 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 blah. He was one of those kind of employees, right? Um, <clears throat> now, on the flip side, animals in captivity, Right. This has been a thing like for years and years and years and years, right? Zoos are generally sort of an older, antiquated ideology, right? Like, like let's pull these animals into cages so that we can look at them, right? Mm-hmm. If you, I remember going to zoos when I was a kid that were literally just cages, mm-hmm. right? It was just a cage with a tiger in it. Not even like there's a, a habitat. Yeah, they might have put some. I mean, obviously there's food in there, but and there might have been something for them to bat around, but it was very minimal, uh-huh. you know. And over the years, in the '80s and '90s, they started realizing, oh yeah, we can't we can't house these animals like circus animals, you know, like in cages. Um, <clears throat> we need to give them habitats and we need yeah. to make it more, more enriching to them. Um, but in general, I mean, the 98% of the reason zoos exist is for research, right? Okay. To, re- to research the animal. And usually that means either researching their behavior or even just taking like blood tests and stuff like that so you know more about tigers or whales or penguins or whatever so that then scientists can help those animals in the wild, mm-hmm. right? None of those animals, well, I won't say none, but like none of the whales at SeaWorld were ever planning to go back out into the wild, Okay, right? They weren't. Most of them that are in captivity now, I would say 99, I would say 99% pretty confidently, were born and raised in captivity, Okay, right? I worked at SeaWorld with the birds. I worked with the penguins, right? And when I worked there, we had 200 penguins in the penguin encounter. Not one of them was snatched from the wild. They were all like second and third generation, born in captivity, yeah, yeah, yeah. raised on three meals a day and, uh, and a controlled environment. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they had pretty much the best care yeah. 
and the best facilities that, that an animal could ask for, right, mm -hmm. in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, now, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, when they were filling zoos up, yeah, they were going out and snatching killer whales out of the ocean. Yeah. You know, and maybe that wasn't awesome. You know, a lot of aquariums still do shark wrangling where they will go and catch sharks, right, on a hook and line, bring them in, and then take them to, you know, like depending on, on whether they're trying to repop or like, like freshen up a gene pool or whatever, like in a, in a, in a captive population. Yeah. Um, they'll still do that with certain animals, but very, very, very rarely do they, do they snatch animals out of the wild and put them in a cage and just because have everybody look at them because it's not... At this point in time, we already have the yeah, animals. Yeah, we have them and yeah, they're yeah. breeding, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and, and part of the, uh, like, so if an animal is happy, right, in a, in, a, in a captive environment, they'll breed. If they, if they don't have enough food or enough shelter or enough enrichment or, you know, if an animal doesn't feel like it has enough resources to have an offspring, it will not have an offspring, mm, right? Okay. So if you're breeding an animal in captivity, you've given it everything it needs biologically yeah. to feel comfortable enough to go, yeah, okay, I'll have I'll have babies, mm. right? They won't have babies. like it just won't work. Yeah. If they you know, you can't force it. Yep. You can yep. artificially inseminate stuff and whatever, you know, you can make it, but it's still it won't be viable if the if the mother animal is not given enough proper care yeah. to have that baby, right? So I worked at SeaWorld full time in the animal department, right? <clears throat> With the birds, but I saw a lot of the stuff that happens in all the other, you know, in the mammal departments and, and all that kind of stuff. Um Lack of care is not a problem in these places, right? Um, and they're there to bring people in to see them yeah. so that the money from that can go to conserving the ones in the wild, yeah. right? Okay. Not taking these ones from, from SeaWorld and putting them out in the wild because yeah. they'd never survive. The penguins that I took care of got their fish in a tray, yep. right? I mean, like they didn't, you know, we threw fish in the water and they would swim in and get them, but they weren't live fish, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. if we took those penguins and put them in Antarctica, they wouldn't know they what would the die. fuck to do. Yeah, they'd be like, uh, this is not what I'm used to. You where's know? the so, tray? Yeah, <laughs> where's the tray? Where's the dude that comes in? Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and, and where's my fresh, clean snow and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so, um, you know, being a zookeeper was sort of like, that was my dream job, right? Uh -huh. That was what I always wanted to do, right? And, you know, I grew up, every, like a lot of kids, I wanted to ride Shamu. I wanted to be in the show and do all that. And when I got my job at SeaWorld, I realized that the trainers at SeaWorld <clears throat> are generally like show people, right? They, they, were, they had a little psychology background. Uh, they learned everything they needed to learn about the animals on the job for the most part. Uh, but they were more the... the uh, you know the front men yeah right? there was a whole department of animal care individuals that when like when shamu got ill mm -hmm. or, a, or a beluga whale and the beluga whale show got ill or needed extra care animal care would come in and take care of that animal right and they were the experts as far as caring for that animal mm -hmm. right feeding medicating you know worried about the breeding worried about all that kind of stuff the animal care department came in so and the bird department which is what i worked in that was the same for the birds right okay. so if we had a um we had bird exhibits all throughout the... You know, so anyways, I, I gravitated a little bit more away from doing the show yeah. and taking care of the animals. Yeah, the <clears> actual... Yeah. And, and in that career, in the six years I worked there, I got to do so many amazing things like take birds, penguins, parrots, 
stuff out on PR where we went to like children's hospitals and visited mm. like sick kids, brought the birds to the to the room, let them hold them, that kind of stuff. Did I was on the PR team where we did radio and television. Like I was on t- television all over the place doing interviews about SeaWorld with animals. Yeah. You know, like when you see the animals come on the talk show. Yep. I was one of those guys, right? Oh. And brought penguins in, brought parrots in, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. Um, SeaWorld sent me to the Galapagos to do a census, right? Galapagos. So, the, so there was a wow. there was a funding like SeaWorld was funding a project in the Galapagos, <clears throat> right? Where basically we census penguins, right? Uh-huh. Count the penguins in the Galapagos because they were endangered. And uh, every year there was like a lottery for uh, one aviculturist. That's what it was called was an aviculturist uh, to go and participate in the, in the census. So I got to go one year. So sent me to the Galapagos. I spent a, like 11 days on a boat, just censusing animals. Right? Wow. You just count, count them. Um, got to see, you know, penguins with their babies in the wild and like, you know, swim with the marine iguanas and all that kind yeah. of stuff when I was there. So I got to do all, basically all the cool stuff that you get to do at SeaWorld, you yeah. know, give celebrities tours of the penguin encounter and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, uh, I got to sort of encompass a whole career of, of cool shit yeah. in those six years, you know. So something's interesting, um, like you're saying about the animals in captivity and they got basically everything they needed to thrive. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of especially in today's age with the fact that we have the access to so much information yeah so many headlines and everybody's trying to get their opinions out there and oh, their yeah. opinions heard it's yeah. so easy to um fall into a bias oh yeah but like a bias that i've seen is like sea world is animals in captivity uh these animals and i've just heard like these arguments from people who are just ignorant saying like these animals should be released into the wild yeah well but, the, the idea is and so here's so here's the problem <clears throat> is you know, when you're a zookeeper, you're 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 encouraged not to anthropomorphize, right? What okay. does that mean? It means putting human feelings onto this animal. Mm, yes, right? exactly. So people look at an animal in a zoo and they think it would be so much happier in the wild. Yes, right. In the wild, they're gonna get eaten yeah, asshole yeah. first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's it's, it's a game. Where yeah, either it's you survival. Live or you die. Yeah, this animal is content where yeah. it is mm-hmm. right um were it born into the wild it wouldn't know any different yeah and it would be just as happy probably like level wise mm-hmm. happy again we're putting an emotion onto this animal where we don't know if animals feel emotions or anything yeah. like that i mean uh, so there that's that's the tough part and when, when you're a zookeeper you have to separate that right you can't be one of the first things whenever we'd interview somebody to work at SeaWorld be like an entry level, you know, working with the birds, working with whatever. And, and if they're in their interview and well, why do you want to work at SeaWorld? I just love animals. That was always a red flag, right? Mm. Because you're going to have to see this animal injured sometimes, sick, right? Imagine how, you know, think about how awful it is to put your own pet down. And now you go to work every day and take care of 200 of these things and they're going to die. Sometimes they'll die. Sometimes you walk in and they're dead, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it's babies and they don't, and they're struggling for like a week and then they die. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to be okay with that yeah. because it's not like, you know, it's like you're taking care of livestock as opposed to 200 of your favorite pets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you have to have that mindset a scientific mindset when you look at an animal and go, okay, is are all their needs being met? Yep. Then yes, then they are, for what it's worth, quote unquote, happy. 
Right. That animal is happy. Yeah. yeah. So it's a different. It's it's a, like working in a zoo is much different. And when I went to the Galapagos, I got I got this. I got to see the difference right between the people that work with the animals in the wild <clears throat> versus the versus myself who worked at, with animals in captivity. Yeah. Right. The people that worked with animals in the wild were were very very concerned with preserving the animal's natural state right and they were actually even more i think more so i don't want to say hard but they were more so like okay if they got predated you know if they got like eaten by a predator or whatever because hey that's that's life you know um there was definitely some different when I was when I went to the Galapagos because I was working with field biologists there, yeah. right? And I, I'm not a field biologist. I didn't understand the world they came from, you know. And it was it was definitely it was like the scientific side of things is way different. But like the money from SeaWorld, from all those people coming to see the Shamu show, paid for those scientists to be able to go out there and study those animals in the wild, yeah, right? Yeah. That, that's where the money came from. Yeah. So so that's that's why SeaWorld is important, right? You, you, you I can pull up stuff I don't know them off the top of my head but but you can pull up all sorts of statistics about how many how many like conservation dollars SeaWorld pours into conservation mm-hmm. right and that's like the Texas Marine Mammal Stranding Network you can look up right these people are like whenever there's a dolphin stranded in some nets or whatever on the Texas coast these people including SeaWorld employees get like a call and they rush to the coast to try to save this dolphin or whatever and they and they save it nurse it back to health and put it right back in the ocean yeah. you know I mean like that's that's what these people do you know it's so it's like yeah and that's the, those dollars from SeaWorld pay for that yeah right one thing I, I was going to bring up because um, this happened to me recently but like mm-hmm. There are people who are just ignorant about what goes on in the wild and how, like, dangerous it is. Like, you can mm. just die at any moment, oh, yeah. essentially, right? We live in a bubble where we're safe. Yeah. The animals we have in our house are safe, you know? <clears throat> um, we have fenced-off areas for our animals yeah. so that they don't get attacked by predators. Yeah. Um, but a few weeks ago, I would say about a month and a half ago, at our house here in uh, the backyard, there yeah. was a deer. Yeah. Laying on the floor because it's back, either it's back legs were broken, maybe something's wrong with its spine. Probably couldn't got, get up. Probably got hit by a car, but didn't get. No, killed. no, no. It was no. in a. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And it, it trotted to the back. Yeah. Laid down against the fence. Yeah. It was laying there. It, it was alive, awake. Yeah. My dad went up, petted its head. Oh yeah. yeah. Because it couldn't move. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I had like people saying like, I, in my opinion, I was thinking like, I'm not gonna be able to save this animal. Yeah, yeah. I should shoot it. Yeah. And there are people who don't understand like deer here are a nuisance yeah but well there's so many of them yeah there's that's, a lot and that's and that's that puts them at risk yeah right of so, getting hit of getting swiped by a car mm-hmm. and then and then the person just oh well it's still walking and they drive off and then it walks in the back of your yeah. yard and sits there until it dies right yeah so so, so yeah. that happened and i had like there was just a few people i had posted on instagram there was a few yeah. people like oh don't shoot it try to let it live right or, yeah or try to help it. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to help it? Right. Yeah. So what I did was I gave it a shot. I called animal services. Yeah. So like I've hunted and I've shot a deer, but yeah. this one is like, this one's hurting. Let me try to help it. So yeah. I called animal services. They didn't get back to me that night. They mm. got back to me the next morning mm. and they were like, hey, more than likely, if we try to save the animal, it could go into a uh, cardiac arrest or yeah. because it doesn't deal It'll with too humans. Much shock. Yeah, yeah. go into shock. shock. Yeah. So we would say either you go kill it or have somebody, a sheriff, yeah. come, come over and kill it. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'll just go do it myself. Yeah. I get there to shoot it. 
mm. put it out of its misery. Yeah. It had already got eaten. Asshole first. <laughs> because yeah. here's the thing. People don't realize Probably like in the wild, food. there's no rules, right? There's yeah. no rules. No, it's either exactly, you yeah. live and yeah. you eat whatever you have to eat yeah. or you're the one who gets eaten and you die. Yeah. Yeah. So my assumption was that it was coyotes or whatever, but yeah. the easiest access to the guts yeah. was through the asshole. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like, people are saying, like, don't shoot it, help it. Yeah. But in the wild, oh, yeah. the animals don't give a shit if you're no. hurting. They're not going to try to help you. They're going to eat to survive. Yeah. And what would have been better? Like, you know, I, I asked this question, what would have been better? Mm. Me going and putting a bullet in that deer's head and yeah. putting it out of its misery or that animal laying there getting eaten yeah. getting eaten alive right. that deer yeah. was probably screaming yeah. all night while being eaten alive well and, and you know it, i probably went into shock and possibly yeah. passed out you know in some in some respects but yeah i mean that's 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 the thing right it's so it's like, like those animals in captivity they're actually living much better lives oh, yeah. than they would in the wild yeah. even though the wild seems like oh they get to explore you know yeah. they get to go wherever they want they also many, have to look yeah. over their shoulder every couple minutes. Too many, too many movies of animals oh, yeah. in the wild where they're just they're singing songs and dancing mm-hmm. and living mm-hmm. it up, right? Lion like, King. yeah, it's like, yeah, like, hey, this is what it's like in the wild. No, it's pretty much constant fear. You know? Oh yeah, like that's you know that's that's what keeps an animal alive is fear mm-hmm. in in the wild, right? Yeah. So they so they are constantly. You know, alert. alert. That's why. That's why it's hard to get close to like a bird, right? Yeah. A bird is constantly like, like, oh, that shit moved. I'm out of here, right? Like that's that's their life, right? We don't live like that because we can process things and and we don't see as much fear in our lives. But but fear is fear is universal, and and in the wild, that's what keeps you alive. I mean, so I know a little bit. Do you know much about like hunting and conservation in other countries? Because uh, I'll tell I mean, you, in general, I'll yeah. tell you what I know. So, like, I know like um, there's a lot of other countries, and I've heard the argument of people saying like big game trophy hunting. Mm, yeah. Down with anybody <clears throat> who does that; they mm-hmm. deserve to be killed. The people who are shooting big game, yeah, but not understanding that a lot of times that big game hunting comes down to conservation, where yeah. you have these high fence operations where there are, let's say, giraffe, lion, all these different things, but they're protected from poachers yeah. because a lot of these in like Africa or something, yeah. if they're not protected in these high fence operations, yeah. they get killed by poachers yeah. because the poachers are ignorant um, at so what's out there. I definitely I have mixed opinions on, on that just because of the way I grew up, really. Mm-hmm. So in Canada, it's mostly, it's in like 98% public land, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. it's, you don't have any high fence... Uh, hunting like we have around here, where they have where they'll have exotics or anything like that in the in the property, right? And this is actually so. When I was going to college, I kind of like meandered through quite a few different majors. Uh, one of them was wildlife management for a little bit. For a little bit, I, I dabbled in like, oh, I'm going to get into like wildlife management, maybe be a you know a park ranger or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, in the states, the federal law says that the the animals do not belong to the landowner, right? In the States. In the United States. Yeah. And in and, and Canada too, I guess. Okay. Just, yeah. But I, I just know because I was going to college in the States, so in the United States, so I, so I know that law yeah. when I took that class, right? That wildlife management class is that the, is that the animals, <clears throat> the wild animals do not belong to you as the landowner, right? But you put a 10-foot fence around and they're trapped in there. Now... They're sort of you no. Know, so Texas is a whole different ball game as far as this goes, right? Because 
again, big tracts of land, you know, people with a lot of money have been like, well, listen, if I want to put a big old fence around my property, uh, which is why people with big tracts of land will, the, the federal wildlife people will come in and go, how many deer do you have on your land? Whatever you need to kill 20 of them, right? Because of the population, right? They'll man, you get, you get management tags, yep. right? Because the population needs to be managed. Yep. That's where they get those tags, right? To then sell to somebody to come onto the land, yeah. right? You come onto my thousand acres. I got ten tickets or ten tags. How many do you want? Yeah. Go and kill the animals, right? That's how that whole transaction works, uh-huh. right? But in other states where that's not the thing, you know, you go to the landowner, you ask permission to walk onto the land and hunt the animals, and the animals are free to run from that piece of land onto a different piece of land yeah, yeah. where maybe you have permission or maybe you don't have to go on that private property. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in Canada, we just, we hunted everywhere, right? We hunted, we just had to ask permission of the guy who owned the land, you uh-huh. know? And they were like, yeah, sure, go in there. You know, I don't have, I have cattle over here, so don't go here, come over here, that's fine, you know? Yeah. So. Coming to Texas was a whole different ballgame from like my dad and I, where my dad still loves to hunt, right? But it's a, it's, it costs a lot of money and it's a, it's a really big red tape thing mm-hmm. to be able to, to have to pay the dude, to get on the land, to have access to hunt these little dog-sized deer anyway, you know? Yeah, like, so yeah. that, anyways. So those trophy farms in other countries, like let's say Africa or whatever. So I have mixed feelings on it mainly because, here's, here's my mixed feelings on it. I get the conservation side of it, right? <clears throat> if there, if you had no fences and you didn't protect these animals, they'd just be killed anyway. By poachers, right? By poachers, times, yeah. and probably not at the right time, right? Yeah. On those on those trophy areas and those those conservation, uh, you know, preserves or whatever, there's a biologist managing that population, mm-hmm. right? And usually, what happens is, hey, we have a lion or we have a giant water buffalo that. It's old. It needs to be culled from the herd or whatever. So this is this is the hunt we're selling, right? Yeah. Is this one, right? The biologists know where it is. You know they're gonna take you out, and it's gonna come to the watering hole or whatever. You're gonna feed. You know you, you hear about these hunts where they basically sit in a blind and they wait for the big animal to come in, but they're they're killing a specific one. Yes, because it's being managed. Yes, out of the herd. Yes, right. So I agree with that portion of it. What, what I guess is more just the sensible side of me is that, is that spending money, spending the amounts of money that these people spend on that is, is, is sort of like, I mean, it could, it could probably just donate it or, or yeah, you know I, I mean? Like, so, from yeah, what I've you know heard, what I'm saying? from what I've heard though, is that mm-hmm. those who are running these conservation mm-hmm. high fence operations, um, the money that is spent. So, like, I've heard that, like, big game trophy honey to yeah. hunting to kill, like, giraffe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people will spend, you know, like, three hundred, four hundred thousand oh, dollars yeah. to go get. And this that money goes back into back run, into the conference. run the preserve. So, I get it. I gr- My dad always taught me when we when we grew up. Of course, we don't have four hundred thousand dollars to spend on a giraffe yeah, uh-huh, hunt either. So, uh-huh. um, everything we hunted, we ate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and we lived in a place where we could hunt anything. Like we could hunt small mammals, we could go and trap 
you know, whatever animal. We could go and fish. We could go and hunt elk. And if we wanted to go up north, we could hunt caribou. And, you know, I mean, so we, so we had sort of our pick of the litter of, of things to hunt. Mm-hmm. And we only hunted the things that we liked to eat, right? Yeah. So, so it was more almost like a subsistent lifestyle yeah. where hunting, like I, we had a freezer that was like double the size of this table long when I was growing up. And it was never not full of wild game, right? Moose, elk, deer. Uh, pheasants when we had pheasant season we hunted these little rough grouse we had like 20 30 little rough grouse in there all frozen like we like i ate nothing but wild game yeah growing up we rarely ever bought meat at the uh, at the grocery store yeah. you know what i mean so so it was a different mindset so when i look at like and i understand I, like logically i understand the concept of the money it's the same it's the same thing as the zoo uh, yep. analogy right yep. Yep. money's going into that zoo to help conserve the animals over here um Again, that's like my unconscious bias looking at, you know, the rich dude with the lion going, why the hell you got to kill that lion? But in the, in the herd of lions they have there, the pack of lions they yes. have on that preserve, that one probably needed to be Taken. removed. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, it doesn't change the fact that I think that's a bogus hunt, right? Like, it's almost like, like I feel like hunting in Texas where you sit in a box and the feeder goes off and they walk up to the food that yeah, you drop yeah. for them and then mm-hmm. you shoot the one you want, right? In Canada, we actually had to like hunt. Like, so you like, went like real hunting. Well, we, we waited on, 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 tra- on game trails at, da- at dawn and then we walked through the woods. I mean, oh, like my dad yeah. would take me up about an hour north of where we grew up, where I grew up in Canada to these logging roads <clears throat> and we would park the truck and I have a backpack and the rifle and like food in the backpack and we would we would literally walk from dawn until noon like back into the woods you know there was a couple times my dad and I got like severely lost on these roads Uh where the compass was the only way we got back to the main road and that kind of thing um but that was how you hunted yeah you walked and you looked and you hunted for them yeah and you listened right you didn't wait for the feeder to go off you know but that's all that's also sort of a a product of the environment right like there's not a lot of bad weather here that drives animals in certain directions. Mm-hmm. So they're just everywhere. Yep. So you can't predict where they're going to be, right? So you have to kind of train them to come to the same gotcha, area. Gotcha. That's, why, that's where the feeders come in. I mean, obviously, the feeders feed the animals. Yeah, yeah. And that trains them as well. But, I mean, if you didn't have that option here, it would be hard to find the ones that aren't, like, dogs here in the neighborhoods. You I know, like, you know saying. what I'm saying? Like, they... Like these ones are here because they know they can find food. So right? their their movements out here are much Random. less predictable. Yeah, they're much less predictable in in a less harsh climate. Yeah, that right? makes sense. Yeah. Um, I I know you got to coach twelve, right? Yeah. It's eleven forty five right now. Yeah. It's already been an hour, which is crazy. It feels like it's been literally fifteen <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Um, but I love it, man. I, I appreciate you telling me about the Sea World thing. You know, it, mm. it adjusts my bias on Sea World and the zoos because I think hearing a lot of like. A lot of what my friends from the past um, or where I grew up just say, you know, down with SeaWorld, down with the zoo, it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Hearing somebody who's actually lived through it is interesting and helps change my perspective and views. I think it's, it's just, it's like everything. You just have to have a, <clears throat> you have to understand just we where it's coming ignorant. from. Yeah, yeah, you have to mm-hmm. understand where it's all coming from, you know. Yeah. I mean, nobody goes to SeaWorld to, to abuse animals, yep. you know what I mean, or, or, or because they get off on abusing animals. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but... A lot of people don't understand what 
it actually takes to work with those animals. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that goes on that, that's not pretty and not, and not fun. You know, yeah. if a whale dies, they do, a, they do an autopsy on the whale. And most of that involves like cutting it up with sawzalls. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like so when you, when you come to SeaWorld going, I just love animals. And then you have to participate in your first, you know, whale necropsy yeah. where they're cutting chunks out of it and weighing the liver and then putting that in a bag and then they're cutting this out. You know, it's sort of like that, that can flip your switch on, oh shit, this is what being a zookeeper is all about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is the real deal. Like this is not just, we're not just in there just hugging and petting the penguins all day long. Yeah. There's some actual work that needs to be done, you know? Yeah, yeah. So and it's, it's, um, yeah. it's very eye-opening to hear, yeah. right? And everybody, like you said earlier, the, like, and I've thought that for a long, long time, especially in the last probably 10 years <clears throat> with, the, with the advent of the internet coming, you know, like social media and everything yeah. like that. Like I was around when the internet was, really young right like yeah like like no pictures internet i remember that you know and it has gotten worse and worse and worse over the course of the years where everybody is just really really quick to yell their opinion and not listen to anybody else's So there's not a lot of discussion anymore. Yep. There's everybody yelling their opinion as loud as they possibly can yep. and hoping that more people like theirs than they like anybody else's, but they don't listen to anybody else's opinion. And they now, don't actually sit and listen to what the other person has to say. That When the other person is talking, they're thinking about the next thing they're, they're going to say. say. Yeah. Yeah, so. And I think uh, with the uh, advancements in technology, it's very, very easy for negative stories to mm. get shared than positive ones. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. negative headlines, like, you know the saying, like, if oh, it yeah. bleeds, it leads, right? Yeah. So with the whole sea world and animals and all that, people love the negative it's stories. It's way easier. that's yeah. what people focus on. I took a debate class in, in college because I took, like, advanced communications and public speaking and that kind of stuff. And it's it's proven fact. If, you, if you're going to debate somebody, it's always easier to take the negative. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, if you have a, a, a topic and you're either for or against it, it's always easier to be against it. I think you can be- always think it's, 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 it's a proven thing, right? It's always easier to have more reasons to be against any topic. Name yeah. a topic. Mm-hmm. And you're either for it and, and we, we're going to debate, right? Against is always easier. I think that's, that comes down to the human condition of it's easy to get emotional about things you don't like mm-hmm. rather than, yeah. you know, it's much yeah. easier to get fired up. But um, we're going to have to definitely do another one. Yeah. There's so much more I want to ask you about, you know, growing up and, and what you've learned living in a different country. That we only got to the job you've had at SeaWorld, but, yeah. you know, you doing karate, all this different stuff. But thank you for coming on and um, we'll do another one. All right, cool. Cool, man. Thanks. Thank you. All right.